right, Wolfback, welcome back to another episode. I have a special guest for you guys today. I'm really excited about this one. Most of my guests, I don't know on a personal level, this individual, I, I've gotten to know him over the year. He's an army knife. If you were to use army knives, <laughs> like that's what, that's what your background is. Um, it's a very impressive. So he has an athletic background, which looks like CrossFit Games team athlete. Also recently did a triathlon, mm -hmm. took first place in his weight class. Mm -hmm. Also podium finished in the Iron Games recently as well. Yeah. Uh, so he has a very, very extensive athletic background. On the opposite end of that spectrum, a software engineer. As much as he loves physicality, he's also a very cerebral person. And um, it's one of those things that if you were to judge a book by its cover, you wouldn't notice when you see this man's man sitting in front of me. For some reason, people think I'm an angry person when they first see me. I hear that all the time. They think I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be mean. Yeah. But I think it's the beard. And he's a father. He's a husband. He's also an entrepreneur as well. Super impressive, man. Thanks for coming on. Jordan Berotran. We you. appreciate you. Thanks Thank for coming you. on, man. Yeah. Thanks for the coffee as well. Cheers. When it comes to athleticism, when it comes to that athletic prowess that you have, I think it's really interesting to kind of hear how that came about, right? Because you don't have a background of sports. Right. So let's talk early year. What got you into this CrossFit machine. When I was a kid, I played a lot of video games. I thought I was going to be a professional video game player. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I went into software development. The more I worked in software, the more I felt like a video game was just this box that I was contained in. So I got away from video games. And in that same period of time, I started doing like boot camp classes and weightlifting and like bodybuilding type stuff. My dad would bring me to the gym and he kind of made me work out at first, but then I kind of fell in love with it and I started going a lot by myself. Um, and then somebody came in, I was doing a boot camp class one day and somebody came in and said they tried this workout program over in Dallas and they were doing lunges with a plate over their head. Mm -hmm. And they said it was the hardest thing they've done. And I was like, oh, whatever, I can do that sort of thing. So I went home, I grabbed a plate, I tried to do lunges and I couldn't get my arms over my head. You know, they were like stuck here trying to hold a plate over my head. Yeah, And I immediately fell in love with it because it was something I couldn't do. And I was like, I thought I was fit. I thought I was, I thought I could do like, just because being in boot camp classes, I felt like I was like, you know, the top person in those classes. I was just running the show, leading the group sort of mm -hmm. thing. Like I was pretty fit in those classes in that small pond. Right. Where does so, that stick to intuitiveness come from? Cause it, that's not normal, right? Like you talk to the average child, right? And if they're not good at something, they don't even want to do it. They want to like, get I away from yep. it. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from, but I think I've always been that way. I'm definitely that way now. Whenever I don't know how to do something, I want to figure it out. Like last night I was up to 1am trying to fix my heater cause I didn't know what to do. The only thing I could really think of is that I think my dad probably instilled that in me really early without really meaning to. And I don't know how or where that came about, but I know that I've always been in school. Like there were some things that I could care less about. Um, like we were talking before about this, like in, in biology, certain sciences and stuff, I just kind of like got through it as I could. But there were other things that like it really bugged me if I didn't understand something. And so mm -hmm. I, I, like, I had to figure it out. I had to figure out like, why doesn't this work? Why well, don't I understand this? And how, so I, I don't know where that came about. That sounds more like an engineer's. Maybe that's what it is. Mindset. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's just the way my brain's wired. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm an engineer now. I, I think I always knew I'd be going to some kind of engineering. I didn't think it would be with computers at all. I, I wanted to do mechanical engineering or some kind of architecture or something like that, building things. Mm -hmm. My mom used to joke all the time that I would try to fix everything with duct tape. Anything would break, I'd try to pull out duct tape and try to fix it. And I would spend hours trying to fix it with duct tape. That's awesome. And so if you were to 
And this question is always a little bit tougher because it's so broad. Who's who's Jordan Early Context? Jordan Early Context was video gamer, um, not an athlete at all. I probably ate a whole pack of Oreos every other day and I never ran. I never worked out. I All I cared about, I would skip classes to go play video games in college. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just what I thought I wanted to do and try to be a professional gamer. So that's who I was early days. Does your family or your, your parents or grandparents, do they have any sports or athletic background? Because it's, it's so hard to wrap your mind around if anyone sees Jordan in a gym, if they were to work out with you or see you, how fucking strong you are. <laughs> For sure. I think I'm, I'm definitely lucky to have some of the genetics. My dad didn't really play any sports. Um, my mom didn't. And so like my parents didn't, like when I wanted to play sports when I was growing up, they wanted me to like, my, my dad took me to football practice all the time, fourth and fifth grade, mm-hmm. but I got into sixth grade and I got away from the football team. And then I never played sports again until I got into high school. I started doing stuff with JRTC. So I was like on drill team doing, you know, spinning rifles and carrying a flag around. I did a little bit of orienteering, which is running through the woods, but I was awful at it. I've always been running. I've always struggled at it. I'm still working on it, but, <laughs> but that was the most of my sports until 10th grade. My dad started making me go to the gym. I guess the other thing that I haven't mentioned it, I was bullied a lot growing up too. And so okay. I think that was maybe a way, a reason why I kind of got away from playing sports too. Uh, when I was in middle school, I know I came home a lot upset because people were always mean to me because I was a little kid. I was smaller than everybody. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like very vividly remember at some point in high school when I started working out, people started leaving me alone. And I really just think it was because I started getting bigger. I started working out. Maybe it was a self-confidence thing, but people started leaving me alone. And then after that, I started doing just bodybuilding kind of stuff all the time. Um, but I, I didn't really like... Um, but I was definitely like a nerd growing up. I didn't, I played video games. That's all I was focused on. I wasn't into girls. Like I wasn't into boys either. I just wasn't <laughs> like, I, there was plenty of times that I'd rather play a video game to go hang out with a bunch of girls or something. That's just what I did. I didn't, I, I ended up needing in college, I needed one extra credit to finish my total amount of credits. And there was a weightlifting course. Uh, I went to LSU in Shreveport. So that's where Kendrick Ferris, uh, he lifts there. That's his like, that's where he's located at, you know, Olympic athlete Kendrick Ferris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his coach, Kyle Pierce, who, who has coached him uh, for a very long time and, and gotten him and, and other athletes to like uh, world teams. He was my coach for the weightlifting program. Uh, I didn't know who these people were <laughs> either. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, he wrote the programming and we went in and we, we squatted three times a week. We benched three times a week. I think that was it. In my very first day maxing out, I did like a good morning at 365 pounds. Whoa. And people were like, that's not normal, that's dude. That's not normal. <laughs> that is not normal. <laughs> so, because we were supposed to max our squat and it like yeah. buried me and I just, so I just stood it back up and, yeah. but it re-racked it. You said something interesting, which was, I was bullied as a kid. Right. Yeah. And if anyone knows you or has been in your presence, you are probably one of the most kind, you are the most welcoming person. And again, that's counter to what you'd believe like when you first see you. So do you think that that value system started then? Absolutely. From being bullied. Yeah. I think that's it. If I were to see somebody being bullied on the street now, I think it would, it would trigger something in me. Like I'd get angry really quick. I wouldn't do anything right off the bat. Right. But I would definitely feel inclined to step in and try to stop it and break it up and maybe even teach a lesson if I could, because I was bullied a lot. And, and it definitely like, I, I, I've just learned because of that to, to be kind to everybody. 
And I think it's it's hard for me to picture that as the people watching this. So what, like, when you mean you're bullied, what do you mean? People, yeah, names all the time. My last name is is awkward. It's weird, especially, yeah, Beraltaran, you know. And so people would use that as a way to to mess with me and get inside my head. Uh, just different names like Baratron, like like you know like Megatron, but oh, Baratron. That's actually badass. Yeah, it is cool now thinking yeah. about it. But as a kid, it's like it's like you know what? Why are you calling me that? Um, other people would make up songs to it. People would, I remember in the, in the locker room, people would just talk trash to me, you know, and say, say mean things, talk about how I look or whatever during gym class, or they weren't very nice to me. Uh, nobody was really ever physical with me, but I, I know there were plenty of times that somebody kind of like shoulder checked me or something. I was just smaller than everybody. And I remember being smaller than everybody all through grade school. Everybody was taller than me. Everybody was bigger than me until my senior year. Then I started like, I hit a growth spurt. Um, were you pretty young for your age? Like, yeah, I was, you the, the I was the youngest in the class. On the young side. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, my birthday's in late August. Yeah, so I was just a small guy. And so I was easy to pick on. And uh, I think people could see the emotions too. And so people feed on that, right? Like, I think that's just, that's just human nature because my kids do that, you know? Like, that's just boys being boys sort of thing. I, I think because of that now, I've, I've definitely learned like, I think all through high school, all through college, it's like, I just, I can't be mean to people. That's not in my nature. And sometimes that's like a, that's a curse too, right? Because then sometimes you can be too nice to people and then it ends up like, it's definitely going to backfire. Well, in your personal experience, do you have any stories around that? Uh, recently we bought a house and I just trust people to eat too much now because of that, because I'm nice to everybody. I, I think I instantly trust people first and then I don't really think about it enough like I should. I've learned some, a couple hard lessons recently. I bought a washer and dryer from some lady when, right. we bought that, when we bought the house and I've bought used appliances plenty of times before, never had an issue. This washer and dryer, the second I hooked it up in the new house, it was leaking. It was running wow. running water everywhere, and it leaked through the roof and caused some damage. Did you um, reach back out to her? I couldn't get a hold of her, oh, and I paid her in cash, so I couldn't do it. I couldn't do anything about it, you know? So that was like hard lesson. Another guy, I paid somebody to make a cabinet door for me because we remodeled our whole kitchen, um, and that guy kind of ghosted me. Oh, he said man. it would be ready, and then he said again that something happened and it would be ready coming up later, and then he ghosted me after that. I haven't been able to get in touch with him. And so it's just like, like, it's just money, like money comes and goes, right? Like you can make it back, that sort of thing. And I think that's that entrepreneur mindset you were talking about at the beginning of this. Mm -hmm. Those are lessons I've learned in that aspect, but I've also learned that I can't, I can't just trust everybody anymore. I've got to really think about like what I'm doing now, especially as a dad, four kids with a, like head of household, you gotta, you gotta be a little bit, you gotta, I, I gotta think a little bit bigger picture and not be so easy to be fooled. So yeah. Yeah. And it's tough because you want to, you want to give everybody kind of that, you know, benefit of the doubt yeah. type of mentality. Like this kid showed up at my house saying he could make a cabinet. Right. And I, and he took, he took measurements and dimensions and stuff. And I was like pumped for him to do it. And, and then he was on the way out. He was like, well, this is our process. We take half at the beginning and half at the end. It was only 60 bucks that I paid him. So that's all I lost. It's not <laughs> yeah. a lot of money, but yeah. it's still just yeah. aggravating. You, you 100%. Know? Because I trusted him and he built some trust with me and he was super nice. And then he even acted like he was going to make this thing for me and then just ghosted me. And so it's kind of like, I need to, those are like, that's, that's like a lesson of you can't trust everybody and you need to, you need to really figure out like, like if. Like you need to, you need to do it in a way that's going to prevent them from screwing you back over. Yeah. yeah you know, unfortunately. I, I think that there's a universal lesson in that. I'm glad we got, we got to this place because I have a sales background. Mm. So I, I know all about pouring honey in your ear and yeah. you know what I mean? Telling people, you promising the world and then not giving, not giving those expectations. That's like the average salesman will just, 
I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And when yeah. it comes to Annie up, it, that's your it, job. It's it, to sell it, something. Yeah. I think there's a way to sell, but like a, a more moral way to sell. Because if you're not going to do it, then don't tell them, right? Sure. Don't just sweeten the pot. And so I think just finding individuals and, and instead of, listening to them like yeah we have a verbal agreement i don't know if that exists anymore at least for me in business that's that's been out the window since i was 18. doesn't exist for me anymore right (laughs) and so more mapping to the behavior Mm -hmm. like what does that person's behavior because that speaks way louder than your words will yeah and it's so easy to promise anything and say anything right talk is cheap the axiom that i live by now is talk is cheap actions actions can even be fabricated over a certain period of time like for three weeks i can pretend but patterns will never lie like patterns are gold type of thing. So if it's like, I can count on this person or this person has time I have invested or done something, like it's always turned out positive. Like I can, I can count on that person. And that just takes time and it sucks because, you know, there's times where there's a time crunch. You got to learn how to check, check who you're going to trust. Yep. And, and, and it's, easy, it's easy to trust people when you're used to trusting people because most of the people I hang out with are trustworthy people. Yeah. So and, true. And then I get around these people that are, they're probably struggling and they need to make a quick buck, you know, and that's what they're doing to make a quick buck. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. So I, and that's why I kind of like, at first I was pissed. Like when I, when I hooked that washer up and it leaked everywhere, I was really upset about it because we just bought a house and we, you know, all these other things. And then I was like, like, this is probably this lady's scheme to make money and karma will pay her back in a negative way. Yeah. Like karma will come back around and she's probably going to get screwed again. So and that's just like, that's kind of like my way of accepting it is like, I'm going to get co- good karma by like just leaving this alone, like yeah. build up, build up a balance, leave this alone. Like, don't worry about it anymore. Move on. And somewhere around the world, it'll come back and pay her back. I don't have to worry about it because she's going to get what she deserves later. So true. So true. Yeah. And that's a, whether you want to be the enforcer of that karma or not. Yeah. It's like most times you're like, no, no wa- water yeah. off a duck's back, yeah. water under a bridge type of thing. So, so getting back to what eventually got you to the CrossFit Games, how long did you train with that guy? One semester. So it was like six months for five months ish. And then after that moment, you continued with powerlifting or or with Olympic lifting or did you continue with CrossFit? While we did that, while we did that pro that, that, that weightlifting course, um, was when the same time I started getting into CrossFit. So I'm nine, I'm almost 20. I think I was about to turn 20 or I had just turned 20. So that's how long I had played video games up until that point. Um, so I did that weightlifting course and realized, okay, I'm pretty strong. Somebody else introduced me to CrossFit. Fight Gone Bad was coming up, the first one that I did, which was like the last like sponsored Fight Gone Bad they, that CrossFit had done that year. Um, so I went and did Fight Gone Bad, um, got my ass kicked by literally every older man there, <laughs> much right. older than me. And, and so that, again, like motivated me. I was like, all right, like I can do this. Um, I refused, not refused. I didn't see the, um, the benefit in joining a gym at the time. And so I just started investing in my own gym equipment and buying like what I could for at home. I had literally a 33 millimeter bar, which is like the bigger bar that you buy at Walmart with metal plates. And that's what I was learning to snatch and clean on. So normally you use a 28 millimeter bar. This bar is half a centimeter thicker. Yeah. And that's what I'm learning how to snatch and clean on out of my garage with metal plates. It probably helped you in yeah, the long run. It probably helped me a lot. <laughs> it probably yeah. made it harder though in the beginning, right? Yeah, it made it real hard in the beginning. So, but that at that point, I think um, I was just obsessed with the idea of going to regionals. Uh, it's all I've ever wanted to do was go to a regional competition as an individual. Uh, and I still have yet to achieve it, but I've come pretty close a couple of times. Um, but 
what I learned from that too was that like it doesn't really matter if I go to that level because I mean I for one I've been able to do the highest level on a team and two I'm starting to learn now that everything that I've done over the last 10 years training wise is is made me who I am today as far as a dad and an athlete and a coach and all like everything far greater than competing as an individual. I want to echo that too because when I started entrepreneurship and got really serious with my I co-founded a, a business at 18, so a streetwear brand, right? Yeah. And I wasn't really all in. I was wishy-washy. Then I found CrossFit a few years later and then was, all, you know, loved it, fell in love with it. And then after about six months of continuous CrossFit, I built that self-belief, that inner strength to take take the plunge and do another business, Yeah. you know, solo this time. Yeah. And then just continuing with that sport, yeah. everything adjacent has benefited from it, from yeah. getting yeah. to that place where you want to give up or, you know, you want to beat mm -hmm. your time or those, that incremental growth that you see and you want to apply that to every aspect of your life. Yeah. So what lessons would you say have impacted you the most? From CrossFit? From CrossFit. From training yeah. CrossFit? Mm -hmm. it, it, everything. Everything, yeah. Gosh, dang, dude. Most recently, like I said, we, we just moved. Right after we moved, we wanted to renovate our kitchen. Uh, we really wanted to do it like within a weekend or two. That was far-fetched to think that we could do that. Like there is no way you could do that in a weekend with the amount of work that we wanted to do. Even if you wanted to, you have to wait for things to dry. Like yeah. you just can't do it. <laughs> uh, so that's my toxic trait is uh, underestimating everything I yeah, do. I, I could do that. I yeah, highly <laughs> underestimated it. But the 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 thing that I realized while I was doing this whole renovation process, there were so many nights where I stayed up till 12, 1, and two in the morning, and then woke back up the next morning at seven thirty a.m. because I still have a full time job and I still have kids to help take care of, and and I still want to train. I didn't train much during that process, but I did. But the thing that I noticed during that process was just like, that's just like that grit, like staying up to one or two in the morning to get things done because you know, like you either, you either do that or you're going to live in this mess for six months. So suck it up, like, like suck it up. You're going to be fine. You can, you can catch up on sleep when you're done with this. Definitely take a break when you're done with this and yeah. catch back up. Like make your, make sure you you're balancing both CrossFit, like just that mental grind of doing these long, hard pieces and being able to talk yourself through, you're fine. Like just get through this next piece. Like taking taking one step at a time, taking that one one next piece at a time, it, it kind of encapsulates everything so that way you you can actually finish something like from start to finish. And you're not just letting it drag on for forever. Yeah. Like you're gonna finish this and you're gonna be okay and you'll be all right. Oh, that's so true. Saw you when we went families went camping. When I saw and I spoke with your wife, we sat down and we just saw how you've upgraded your whole camping situation with things you use when you camp out to the tools to the, and everything has been incremental growth where yeah. you identify this tool or this thing or this, you know, upgrade would have been better for next time. And then you apply that, right? So you're identifying where you want to grow and then the next time you add that and so that incremental growth that's the lifeblood of crossfit yeah measuring your time uh measuring your mile measuring your back squat measuring your strength yeah. measuring everything and right you're not going to get better at everything right now but like if you just keep stacking like the whole habit stacking principle right if you keep stacking this one little thing on top of another you do that for 30 days and then for another 30 days and then for another 30 days then like a year later like you're just doing all those things out of habit and you don't even think about it. And that's the same, like, like CrossFit is that like training is that because you're just like, all right, this is what I suck at. I used to be awful at burpees, mm -hmm. like just holy crap. I couldn't do them. So then I started doing a hundred three times a week for a warm up. Mm -hmm. So hundred takes you 10 minutes. Like it's not really that long. It sounds like a lot, 
but it's not really that long. It takes you 10. If you're out of shape, it might take you 20 minutes. And then if you're out of shape, that's a good workout, you know? But then after doing a hundred, three times a week for a month, like burpees just became easy. So, but you can't get good at everything at once. You got to break it down and like work on this one little thing. But then years later, it all, it's easy now. Like, it's just like, you want me to do this? Okay, that's fine. I can do that. I love how it also shines your light on your weaknesses. Yeah. You can't hide. Yeah. Which is again, the, the original reason why I got obsessed with CrossFit yeah. because it shines your, it shines a lot of light on what you need to work on. Yeah. It, it takes a special individual, especially to get to your level. I really love diving into that from your mindset, right? Yeah. And so on that, what advice do you have? You know, we're in Utah and it seems like we're, we're getting a lot of young and up and coming athletes coming out that yeah. are like ready to go to regionals, ready to go to the games or already competing at that level. Yeah. What advice or what, what do you want to share with them? You know, since you've already been there, since you've, you've been doing this for over a decade. So it's both. The thing that always rings in my head, Asa Basco, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I remember watching an interview with him, I think in 2014. And the thing that he said was like, don't forget to have fun. Like, and I think that's like the thing that you have to remember over everything is like, if you're not having fun, you're not set up for long-term success. And so for me, like CrossFit is like, it's competitive, but it's also just my fitness. Like, so I go through these seasons where I, I'm, I'm not training competitively because I'm not having fun doing it. And, but I'm still training. I'm still getting out for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Um, whether I'm going out for a run or going to lift something really quick, even if it just means doing a five by five squat, like just do something that sounds fun today, because that's all going to build on top of each other in a year or two from now. Like that's all going to a year or two from now, you've done all this work and you, you've built this huge base of fitness. And so now if I want to go back and be competitive again, I'm still ready. Like I can still do that, even though I didn't have to commit those two years to be competitive. Like, and I think that's like, that's so that like the important thing is like, you got to make sure you're having fun because if you're not like, you're going to burn out and then two years from now, you're going to say, I don't want to do this crap anymore. Right. And then you're going to be done and right. then you're going to move. Like, but then who knows five or 10 years from now, you're going to regret it. Like, why didn't I keep doing that? Like, it wasn't that hard for me three times a week just to go and keep working on fitness a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, like, make sure you're having fun and, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the, that's the most important thing. So what I'm hearing is practice patience and enjoy the process. Yeah. Enjoy the process, practice patience. Cause even those, again, they bleed into the rest of your life, you know, like as a dad of four kids, two of them being boys, rowdy boys, cause they're, they're eight and six, man. Yeah. And they wrestle a lot and they get loud a lot. And, and sometimes I'm not patient and I get frustrated with things, but at the same time too, if I wasn't doing CrossFit for this long and I wasn't being patient with my progress and stuff like that, who knows what level of patience I wouldn't have coming into now with the kids, you know? Yeah. So like it bleeds into a lot more of your life than you realize. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's times where you're with your, your newborn or you have to stay up on that. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things that you just, you can feel it. I mean, you're, you're another level because I'm even thinking back to, you did the 12, 12, 12 heroes, 12 heroes. Yeah. With OUR. And you were speaking to, to that. You're saying that's even a deeper level of like, I did not know I was capable of this. <laughs> so 12 hero workouts in one day, yeah. uh, one every hour on the hour. And it's not like, you're not just doing five minute workouts. Yeah. Like the first workout is Holly man, 30 rounds of one clean, three handstand pushups, five wall balls. So 30 cleans. Uh, 90 handstand pushups and 150 wall balls. That's Wild. the first workout of the day. Wow. 
And so I get done with that and I'm like, holy, like, how am I going to do 11 more workouts? Like I'm exhausted already. But then by the end of the day, the last workout's Murph, which everybody knows what Murph is and it's awful and it hurts. You finish Murph with the wave fest on. It was partitioned, so it wasn't 100, 200, 300, but it's yeah. still hard. By the 12th workout of the day, it hurts, man. Do you remember your time with that? After I think I was around runs? 55 minutes or something still, like that with doing it the Cindy zero. version. Yeah, Shit. so um, it was like six degrees outside, too. When we did, it was freezing. Dude, that's so, some David Goggins mindset right well, there. Well, that was in my mind yeah. during that whole day. Yeah. Like that guy, if he, we watched 14 Peaks actually the day before, oh, so okay. that was in my mind, too. Cause these guys, you know, do crazy stuff in just a, what is it like a month or two like yeah. that? They climb 14 peaks, like something crazy. Spoiler. I'm sorry if I messed <laughs> that up for anybody. <laughs> I hope I did it. Go watch that movie if you need some motivation. Cause it'll make you realize it'll make you put things in a perspective that like you're going to choose what's going to be hard and what's not going to be hard. And it really is up to you if you want it to be hard or not. Cause whatever you tell yourself, that's what it's going to be. You mentioned having a newborn. And 12 Heroes makes you realize that, like, there's really nothing that you can't accomplish if you don't want. Like, I just did 12 workouts the other day. I can sit here with my baby and, and help her fall asleep for an hour or two, like, if that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Because, like, that's that's nothing compared to, you know, the mental strength that it took to get through 12 workouts back to back. 100%. That's so true. And it's it's so empowering, too, when I hear stories of ultra marathon runners or all of these different competitions that humans actually do these extraordinary feats of athleticism it's so empowering to me and i hope that you know our listeners and the people watching i hope you guys frame that in an empowering way and take back like those lessons and say like if th if that person can do it i can do it too and humans are fucking amazing right because the other side of that, the reframe of, I could never do that, that's physically impossible, those people are superhuman, is a disempowering thought. Absolutely. And yeah. I've noticed that I had a post go super viral when I was echoing a sentiment that I read it in some book, which was essentially humans were meant to be, uh, to run 45 miles a day. Mm -hmm. Like we are designed biologically to move the extent of what it would be to yeah. exert yourself for 45 miles, literally daily right? Yeah. On a daily basis. And that to me, it was so empowering. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking human. Let's go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I got thousands of comments of people saying, that's no way. That's not real. That that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? And the story was like, we're essentially terminators to the animal kingdom because like, there's a thing called persistence hunting. Yeah. And we did that for, you know, whether it was a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, I mean, there's tribes still that do it today. You yeah. can look up BBC eight hour hunt right. and it shows a tribesman. I think he's in the Tanzania tribe. I'm not sure exactly. Hunt and do that. Jog for eight hours. I was going to say, that's when they just chase an animal until they're until completely exhausted. The animal falls down from exhaustion and gives up. Yeah. And then that person takes the animal's life in such reverence though, more primal dynamic. It yeah. was wild. Yeah. You know, because I read it down, and, but like seeing somebody actually do that in real time. Yeah. 2022, you know, yeah. or maybe it was 10 years ago, but I saw something similar with a kid in like Australia that was doing that. And he would just make YouTube videos for fun and he wouldn't kill the animal. He didn't, he didn't that wasn't his goal, but he would literally chase down the animal until he caught it and <laughs> just to prove that he could catch this animal, you know? So this kid also picked up venomous snakes and stuff like that. and did crazy stuff. It was like one of the early guys on YouTube to do that. Um, but yeah, that's a thing. Like eventually like who's going to win, you know? I agree with you. You said that humans can, you know, 45 miles a day. I, I agree with that. Like there was a guy, I met him when he, when he passed through my hometown of Shreveport, uh, he walked from Florida to California. Um, uh, and his goal was 30 miles a day. 
And I'm pretty sure he consistently walked 30 miles a day. So if you're jogging, like why not 45 miles a day? Yeah. You know? So, but you're right. And, and, and people are saying too, like you can't do 45 miles a day. Well, maybe you're not walking 45 miles a day or running, but you're doing enough activity to cover 45 miles a day. Yeah. And if you change that same amount of activity to walking or running or jogging, like, yeah, you probably could, if you wanted to hit 45 miles a day, yeah. you're just going to have to get used to it at first. It's going to suck at first, yeah. but then you get used to it and that's a stimulus, right? That's what training is. You create a stimulus and your body adapts and you're right. Like we are. Like that's what we're made to do is adapt to a stimulus. Yeah. And so that's why we have all these superhero freaks because yeah, dude, they adapt to the yeah. stimulus yeah. and they stop telling themselves they can't do that. And instead they do. Speaking of superhero freaks, do you still, is that 382 pound clean and jerk you did during 2007, <laughs> is that still the record for the game? No. So that, at that games, I set the record at 382. Then the, the following heat, another guy hit 387. Oh, okay. Um, I always regret that though, uh, because I could have, I firmly believe I could hit 392 at that day, but I wanted to be the first person to clean 400 pounds of the games. And so I made a jump from 382 to 402 immediately. And my midline was smoked at that point. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have made that jump. I should have just hit, taken a 392. That's like getting greedy, right? Yeah, like yeah. if you get greedy with money in the stock market or something, it's going to backfire. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the same thing I did with, um, with the, with that clean is I got really greedy. I wanted 402. I'd actually hit 400 the week before that, you know, in in our tapering and our working up to the games. So I was confident that I could do it. And I tried 402, so but I missed it. I got it to my shoulder and it just buried me, and I missed it. So, um, but I am proud still to have hit 382 at the games. I remember walking out, and uh, this guy who knew me um, on the brute strength team. He, he bumped me on the shoulder and he was like, hey, did you hit a 400-pound clean? And Rich Froning was right behind him. He goes, somebody cleaned 400 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I tried, yeah. but I couldn't That's get it dope. on. Man. That's a dope so, story. That's really cool. I so what I, is the record so far? The record right now, Guy at Wadapalooza a couple weeks ago, I think he hit 397. Oh, shit. 392 or 397. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really easy. Like He probably could have put on another 15, 10 to 15 pounds. Is he that British? He's Brazilian. Brazilian, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but he trains with Rich Froning, and he's honestly probably the strongest CrossFit athlete out there. And I say strongest CrossFit athlete because he's also like if you took all the strong CrossFit athletes, if you put me and Tola and Guy, and I'm sure there's a couple of other uh, that I'm not thinking of, but if you put us three together, I would say he would match our lifts or better, but also probably beat us in any Metcon, so yeah. that sort of thing. So interesting. I say I'd say that he's the best, well-rounded, and strongest CrossFit athlete. That's dope. And yeah. he's is he uh, younger or how old is he? He's probably 22, 23. Oh, okay. He's a lot younger. So like, he's got some almost time. ten years younger. Oh, yeah, than me. So yeah, yeah. sometimes that's awesome. So you basically alluded that you're Hercules. I'm going <laughs> to contrast the Hercules strength that you have with the software developer that you have been also doing. Because again, you're busting through these boxes that people want to categorize themselves and others in, which is there's no way this guy, Hercules, is also super cerebral. Software engineer. Can't have both. You can't have both. Yeah. But you are both. You've been doing that for about a, how long? Almost almost 13 years. So 13 including years. Including my internship. So how did you juggle those two things? Or did was it 
was that, did that also help you with CrossFit? Because I don't know if people realize this, to even train in, at a competitive level, that's like a full-time job. It's a part, when I was training for like the games, and so I've been, I went to regionals on a team, I think three times or four times. And every time it was a 20 hour, 20 hour per week of training for sure. So it's a part-time job. Yeah. Uh, and then a full-time job working software. So doing both, it was, I thought about this the other day too, for some reason. Uh, but I remember this this thing that John Wellborn said. He's he's the owner of CrossFit Football, and that's kind of what I started following in the beginning. So I was like obsessed with like what he had to say, mm -hmm. and like uh, one of the things that he made, like a point that he made very early on that I've always kind of lived by, is even if you don't feel like doing it, start on it, like give it 15, 20 minutes, and then if you still don't feel like doing it, then like call it a day, like it's whatever. So I've always applied that to training, and I think that applies to anything really. Um, but I've always applied that to training. So like working a full-time job and then getting home and I don't want to train, but I'm going to go out there and, and I'm going to warm up and I'm going to move. And then if I feel good, then I'm going to train. And then if I still feel good, I'm going to keep training, that sort of thing. And so that's kind of how, how that worked. But you can apply that to anything, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want to start a business, like nobody really knows where to start or how to start right off the bat. No. Like you got to start and dig into it and then you start figuring things out. And then that's when things start coming together and you're like, all right, this is fun. Or it may not actually be fun right now, but then you start seeing something pieced together and that's where you like, that's where you're having fun. The other, the other day also, I saw something like you're not motivated, you, your action creates motivation sort of thing. And I think that's something that, um, uh, the art of the impossible, but he, he explains the psychology behind all of that. So that's a really good book to check out. Like if you're like wondering like how to, do I get motivation and how, like, where did it come from? He talks about that cycle of like action into motivation into something else and then back into action and it's like just this circle yeah but it doesn't start with motivation it starts with action yeah it's it's that just you just have to start and that's something that i've i've done in my life over and over and over you know whether it's the fit like getting back on the bus with working out or going back to the crossfit gym or training mma or doing mm -hmm. boxing it's like you just have to start yeah and then yeah. everything else kind of falls in. Yeah. It doesn't fall. Nothing falls in place. But at least you have the signals to know where you're supposed to pivot and navigate as you're oriented to this new goal, yeah. right? But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because some people think they can think themselves into like this perfect business scenario, this perfect entrepreneurial endeavor, and they're like, I'm going to get my ducks in a row. I'm going to have my business financing. I'm going to have my business plan. I'm going to have everything perfect first. The graphic design, and then I'm going to start, and then I'm going to be a millionaire or six-figure or- Then you'll sit forever <laughs> trying to get everything perfect. Yeah, and then when yeah. you start, you're going to be like, none of that fucking mattered. Yeah. <laughs> All of that shit's going to get thrown yeah. out of the window. So there's so many different variables that you, you just can't consider before you get started. Yeah. And so the, the idea is just start, and then your motivation will come, like you're saying, that like action loop. Just start, then you're, the, the motivation comes in the action. I think it's just like taking those steps, the next step to solve the problem. Because mm -hmm. that's all we are. That's all you are in business, a great problem solver. Because every day, just like in this like little microcosm example of what we dealt with today, the live turned off, like everything was malfunctioning, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, you if we had waited for everything to be perfect to start this, we're probably still trying to get everything to be perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so it's just not how the world works. And I think that's like something you have to think about. Like, I just need to start working on this and I can figure the other things out as I go. 100%. What have you learned that you could maybe share with the listeners being a software developer for 13 years? You know, what are there, is there anything we can extract, any value that you can extract from being in that industry? Well, I guess like the number one thing is that that field's never going away. Okay. Right. Even so, with chat GPT? 
I think so. I okay. think because like even that, that is scary. We were talking about that the other day. Um, but yeah, I think there's maybe there's not like this upper limit of things that can be to be developed, but it's going to be really hard to replace a human brain that can think on the fly versus a machine. A machine is still a machine. And it's still boxed in somewhere. Yeah. There's still some limit to it. Um, I did have a friend that I work with. He, he said that he wrote a program the other day that can take, um, oh, well, he wrote a program. He pretty much asked chat GPT to write a program to do something for him. And it did it in a couple seconds. Yeah. And would it take him? And it wrote it in, he wrote, it wrote the software for him. So now he could tinker with that code. But it took him, it would have taken him how long to do that? It probably would, for what he was asking, it probably would have taken an hour or two to do it, but it wrote it in seconds. Right. But it's just the idea that it could write it in code too. It didn't just give him the answer. It actually wrote the software to do what he was trying to do. So yeah, I mean, technically there could be things that take away the software job, but also like who created chat, chat GPT and then who created like a person created that, right, like right. a human created those things. So like there's always like somebody has to be the brain behind the software mm. at some point. Could we lose like some lower level software development jobs? Yeah, but... Like also, is it is it going to know how to write that software in a way that could be built upon later on with these other ideas that are coming downstream? Probably not, unless if you want to teach it, you know, because it's based on machine learning, unless if you want to field it, feed it this like series of data so that way it knows that like these are my future plans. So I need to write it in this way that so it works in the future. But then one of those plans change, just like we talked about. Like, yeah, we don't know really what's going to happen six months from now. What if it changes? And what if we need to re like create all this, like restructure all these things? The AI could still just rewrite you a new set of code, but then like you're going back and forth with this new set of code all the time and trying to implement. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I don't see software humans working on software going away at least for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Been I read a book back in 2014 called Bold. Another one, zero to one, this, the, by Peter Thiel. A lot of these guys that were writing these books were venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. And in 2018, I, I talked to a group of high school students that were at-risk youth uh, because I was at-risk youth. I dropped out of high school at one point. What I told them was, because I was so immersed in AI, they talked about AI. And so I told, told students back in 2018, and I recorded it, and I'm glad I did. I said, some of you guys are going to go through college and not have and by the time you get out of college, you're not going to have a, a job waiting for you. And so then fast forward to 2022 chat GPT launch and finally kind of was like, oh, this is the AI possibility because this is just one applications. Like we're not talking like you're talking about chat that's able to write sales copy marketing. Um, and then there's other AI that's able to generate images. You can create movies. You can create scripts. It's literally almost en anything. endless. Yeah. So it's I think the top 20 percent of every industry is going to be. Like they'll be good, but I think there's that 80% that you're not going to be good anymore. Yeah. I think we're just like scratching, like we're at the tip of the iceberg of what actually is, exists and what's going to come in the, in the coming like two, three years. Yeah. Short term, short term. Yeah. No, we'll I, I agree. A lot could change. Uh, and it definitely, it's impressive, dude. Like people yeah. talking about how they had songs written by just training the machine learning, uh, you know, family guy, they recreated a whole family guy thing. Uh, they, they like, I don't know if it was a whole episode or a clip or something, but I, I saw recently that they like took a family guy episode and made it an AI generated like live action thing, but it's all AI generated. The whole argument the other day, is it plagiarism or not? If it's created by chat, chat GPT, like, cause who created it? Like, did you create it? Cause you asked it to, or did, did it create it? And the writer of that software create it because they trained, I don't know, 
You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah, yeah, I think I think the people that are going to win are the people that own the data, yeah, or that can assimilate the data. Because you know, even back pointing back then when I was reading these books, the the main concern was, da- like, go into data engineering. You're going to make two hundred thousand a year, and it's not necessarily. I think the the benefit doesn't come from just aggregating data, but it's the prompting around the data. Like you, what are you, what are you trying to figure out with that data? That data set, a billion points. Okay, what that doesn't mean that's anything. Nothing, yeah. That is like a bunch of sh- information. But I think the the job that's going to pay out, like what computer engineering and software development pays out, or your data scientist is prompting. How do you prompt these? How do you a- the AI? train the AI to what, use to this look data. for? Yeah, I'll use a real life example. We'll take the audio from this podcast episode. I upload it to ChatGPT. And then the prompt is write a paragraph that's enticing. What am I going to learn for YouTube specifically? Make it less than a paragraph or two paragraphs. Right. Brings back that first iteration. Then you say, okay, now extract, let's say three core things that the viewer is going to get from this. Okay. Boom. Now I use that as well. And then make it funnier or make it more engaging. This is interesting. Make it more provocative. So people will click on it. Yeah. And then now generate, give me 10 titles that you think are provocative or that would uh, be good for YouTube. Like you could talk, like (laughs) it's crazy, dude. And it does it like that. I I don't think people really are are able to wrap their head. Like Peter Thiel called it out. Elon Musk obviously was the founder of the company that created ChatGBT. I think these people see it. I think the barrier of entry though for these technologies was, and ChatGPT busted it down, was user case. Like how are users, why were users gonna want it? Like yeah. how are you gonna get these people? And then they did it the day they launched, they had a million people engage and sign up for ChatGPT, which is more than Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, uh, TikTok, like every social media platform. I still haven't played with it. And talking about this now, it makes me want to, and it gives me ideas on what to do too, as far as like entrepreneurship. And- yeah like the things that I'm working on on the side, right? So that leads perfectly into if Hercules wasn't enough, CrossFit Games athlete, <laughs> uh, competitive CrossFit, uh, software engineer, software developer wasn't enough. He also is an entrepreneur. And this is a newer endeavor for you. This is, you've been, you launched your- It's FBA, okay. Um, okay. fulfilled by Amazon. Um, a lot of people, I see ads for all the time saying that this is dead, like this, this business model is dead. It's too highly competitive. I definitely got lucky with the product that I picked right off the bat. Um, but also like, it's not dead. Like there is, there's an endless amount of products for you to pick and there are an endless amount of people that want to buy that product. So you can make a business almost out of any product. You just got to keep trying and you gotta, you gotta like learn the game of Amazon and how to sponsor things and how to, how to like rank your pages high, just like you would anything else, just like this podcast or any other type of social media, like how, like what, what drives this website and how do I get my product to drive, like to rise up on it. Um, But honestly, I swear by it because it's changed our lives. Like um, I have probably close to 10 products now and two of them, one of them's great. One of them is I I think steadily rising. The rest of them are kind of duds. They sell when I advertise them. They don't sell outside of advertising. (laughs) So, but like the opportunity is there really for anybody to make, make money on any of these products. And so that's kind of like what, like I kept getting, I kept also on the flip side of it being dead. I kept getting ads for, Hey, you should try this. Like you should try selling on Amazon. And I was like, screw it. Like I'll invest some money. I started getting into the stock market at the same time or right before that. So I wasn't really afraid to lose money because the stock market, like if you're going to invest in the stock market and if you want to make money, you got to be ready to lose money. Right. 
So then you start like like getting okay with the idea of like risking a few thousand dollars, right? Like, Wait, you have to risk money to make money? Yeah. What? <laughs> That's kind of how bullshit. it works. So. It's bullshit, man. I'm getting out of this <laughs> entrepreneurship shit. Yeah. So what have you learned dealing with that? What can you share? Like somebody's thinking about doing that right now, right? Somebody's Specifically listening. Amazon FBA yep, they're or like, just I, I want to do Amazon FBA. Um, so what What would you say? Like what? Because I know you came across a lot of pitfalls too. Yeah. There, there's kind of also a, a, um, some negatives to FBA, right? right? So okay. biggest negative to FBA would be somebody could steal your product if you're not trademarked. And then literally that's my, my main product. The product that brings us in the most income is also sold as generic. So anybody can list that product on that listing page at the same time. I didn't know better at the time because that was my first product. So I should have branded it and that way I could leave it just to me and I would be the Amazon choice on this product and I'd be making probably three times as much. So don't make that mistake. Like, right. like don't, don't. And But that's, I don't know, that's like part of that whole research thing. Like I'm going to research it until I figure it out and it's perfect and get it going. I could have done that, but maybe I would only be starting now instead of a year ago, you know, and, and then who knows if somebody else would have had that idea first. So we could argue back and forth about that all day. Um, but it doesn't really like I jumped the gun. i made an investment. I tried to make it work and I did make it work. Nice. And, and it's at this point now we make, we make, we do really well with this one product, even though other people could technically also sell it under the same page with the same reviews at the same ranking they can literally just take over the product page so how do you outcompete it is it just purely advertising um, like the way that you're advertising or the money that you're throwing into advertising because i'm not familiar with amazon at all at this point well so outcompeting it to start yeah it was it was mostly image image and product page is how you outcompete other products like professional images you spend the money to buy you know to, to hire a professional photographer um, can chat GPT put out, if I were to type in a product name, professional images with chat GPT, give me some. Yeah. Yeah. Not uh, chat GPT, but other, AI. another, another AI machine There's learning a... thing. So the reason I ask that is I guess maybe it's worth your time now. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to have to be ready to learn things on the fly. 100%. And so maybe it's time now to learn how to take some products that you want to sell similar products and train a machine learning algorithm to create these professional images and save you. I mean, you're saving 300 bucks, but at the same time for somebody that doesn't want to, has a very limited budget, like that's 300 bucks that you could spend on product or something else or advertising. So try that out. If that doesn't work, get your professional photographer to take some product images of whatever. Let me, let me back up before you get product images, you need a product, right? So the way that you start is you go, you, the way we started was we went to Amazon to buy something and it wasn't there. And we were like, this is actually our two of our best products. You want to say what it, what it was? No, I don't want to okay. say what it is. Got it's it. something that I don't want somebody else to come in and just be like, all right, he said I could steal it. So I'm going to steal it. <laughs> you know, not only that, but I feel like this so, like. So you're, you're, so you're alluding to something that I'm trying to figure out now with what we talked about. We texted each other. I was like, I'm thinking about doing this with my community audience and launching this type of business. I talked to a guy. And he told me, and he's in, he does Amazon and he does million dollars um, in sales. He still, to the day, even though he has trademarks in this, he can't stop China, China competitors. He can't stop people. That's true. From, and so he's like, do direct to consumer. Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's take what you know now and let's, let's rewind before you started. Would you have, would you build a D to C brand? Probably not. Or would you still be doing Amazon? I would probably still be doing Amazon because okay. people trust that product, that platform. Yeah. 
And I know people will go directly to Amazon to buy things. Like you don't go to Walmart to buy things anymore. You can go like, you don't look for, you can, but the first thing I know that most people do is they pull out their phone to check Amazon Amazon. and then they order it. And if they can get it same day or next day, they're going to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I don't, I I, I'm sure other platforms would offer that, but it may not be as quick as what Amazon is. And so for like, he's right. Anybody could come in and steal his products too. Like, like you could, you could put anything out there in a China and somebody in China could see it and be, and they have all the manufacturing equipment right there. So they're already saving thousands of dollars on shipping costs. Yeah. So they can just go ahead and make tons of it there because they can get all the data that they need to say, Oh, this product is making this much profit per month. And then just like, they kind of screw you over. Right. Yeah. But it's also going to take them time to build up the reputation for that product. And then they have to rely on the reviews for that product. And if so if their if their quality sucks, like their product's not going to take off like they like it, it really could. So, yeah. do you, um, but do you see the interesting um, position that we're like when we're having a conversation where you're like, I don't want to name the product. Where in in other yeah. contexts, you're like, no, this is my website. This is my product. That's this, true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, you're promoting. Normally, you should promote your product <laughs> because you shouldn't be worried about somebody stealing right, it. Right. Right. And you're right. So that that is definitely a pitfall of being on Amazon. Like. Right. Yeah, anybody could come and steal it. But also, I don't have to handle any shipping, any returns. Any, oh, yeah. I don't have to talk to any customers. No. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, Amazon gosh. takes a, a piece of what I make because of that. Yep. But also, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I mean, we've done over, we did, I think last year, we did almost $300,000 in sales. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. So That's your first year in business, And that was too. my first year. Yeah, dude. So that's what I'm saying. Like, why not? And I started, the investment I started What are with, profit margins with that? With Amazon, 30, 20%. Um, 40%. About 40%. Yeah, that's great. Like, if I didn't take that step and I tried to do it all on my own, like, who knows if I would have made it this far? I would have been overwhelmed because I have three kids to take care of and a full time job. You know, I got lucky. I I don't, I don't doubt that. I don't take that away. I got lucky with the first product and I I don't really did. Um, but the opportunity is out there for anybody else to find their first product too, right? And, and start making, my in my initial thought on it was like maybe I'll make a thousand dollars a month, yeah. like and that was that was it. Maybe I'll make a five hundred bucks a month mm-hmm. and cover a car note. That was it. Like something simple, just you know, take some stress off of, of some other income sort of thing. But it turned into a, a business, and and I love it because of that. Because we wouldn't be in this new house, I wouldn't be able to take care of my family like I am now. Like we wouldn't be able to like and, and so yeah, like they take a good chunk of what. I mean, like what I could be getting if I did it on my own, yep. but also that's just, that's the same thing as like, if you're paying an employee to help you with your time and do something else on the side, like Amazon is kind of, if you think about it, like my own employee, like I'm paying them to take care of all these pieces. So I don't have to worry about it, but I'm still making income. Yep. So it's worth it to me. So, so yeah. So j- just to break it down, so it's easier to visualize for listeners and, and viewers. So what he's talking about is that if you were to create your own product, there are so many different parts to what what that is, right? So it's the finding a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. It's the putting in a product order. So once you figure out what product, or let's say you invent a product, whatever, like find a product, you've got to get somebody to manufacture that product. Yeah. So you have to put in a shit ton of money up front, right? Mm-hmm. You put in a product order, you get that. Now where are you going to put it? Is, yeah. Are you going to do it out of your garage? Great. Okay, <laughs> but what if you, you're successful? So now you have to get a warehouse. But at this point too, who says you have a garage? Right. Like if you're trying to make more money, who says you have, like, if you're just starting out, I feel like most of the time people are in like a really small place. They don't have a place to like, exactly. they're, that's why they're trying to make more money. Exactly. 
you know? So, so well, what I'm saying, you didn't have to do that yeah, because you have, that. you're in, with Amazon right. FBA. Yeah. So then you have the product, then you have to distribute the product. So then you have to ship that product as well. So then you have to do inventory and then inventory, then there's customer service. When you really start calculating the overhead cost, and this is something that every person starting out with business and entrepreneurship needs to be able to see and, and consider, yeah. which is, do I have the capital? And most people don't when they really calculate the, the best advice I've, I've gotten in the last, you know, 12, 13 years myself was expect 10 times more yeah. it to cost 10 times more than your initial like guesstimate. Yeah. And then expect it to take three times longer yeah. than what you initially, the time frame for success. And that is a more accurate picture. And keep in mind too, is like, I'm making it sound really simple, right? At first, the first few months, it was not simple. Like I had to do a ton of research. I had to find product and I had to figure out my pages and get professional photos and figure out how am I going to optimize this and, you know, what's the best like price points and all these other little things that, you know, you just learn along the way. So I spent a lot of time, like you said, 20, 30 hours per week for a few months figuring these things out. But once you get it rolling, like I think like any good business should be like once you get it rolling and in a rhythm, things just keep going and keep working kind of they keep churning on their own and so that's like kind of like why i think it's worth it. even if you don't want to do amazon fba like figure out a business and a side hustle because like that that income potential is unlimited right like when you're a business owner it's unlimited my route to that to start was amazon fba because that's what made sense to me at the time and i'm going to keep doing that and keep, keep trying to find products because i know that the potential is out there mm -hmm. to be like making a million dollars a year just just by keeping product in stock is your goal net or gross a million either way <laughs> like, i'll be good with either yeah I'd be happy. It's, regardless so is, is i'm making a, more than i am now is there a way to sell your amazon fba store yeah. okay i think people yeah people you can sell I, it. I think i've seen that actually i'm a part of a mastermind group where people will invest they have like a fund that they put together and then they invest in fba they get like they buy like 10 of them, wrap, package them up and sell it to a bigger private equity company. Yeah. And so I'm like, that, that was a pro and cons for me because for me in entrepreneurship, I've gotten to a place where I'm building assets, right? Because I sold my first business at uh, 24. And I was like, oh, this is a thing you can do. Yeah. Like when you put this all together and you figure it out and you brand and you market, like then you can sell this entity. Like just you're using another business as the title of like what you do. Amazon FBA, not Jordan's FBA, not right. Jordan's, you know, like uh, this is my store. So that that was kind of a red flag for me. But that, now that I've seen people like they sell for 1.5x on revenue monthly, then you sell your store either at an annual point, you know, like it's a, either a 1.2x mm. multiple or maybe even a one multiple or some, yeah. sometimes they just want to get out faster. Like I'll just sell it to you for 50,000 and I'm out. Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe some people would be like, you know, why would I do that if I have this income rolling in already and, it, and it's a steady state of income, but at the same time, now you've taken your initial $5,000 investment you've turned it into a hundred thousand dollars and you sell that and you get $120,000. Now you can put that into another business that, that maybe frees up your time and gives you, you know, the peace of mind of with your family and whatnot. I'd love to open a CrossFit gym. We've never, we haven't done it. I've talked about it for years. I think I'd be really good at it, but also I don't want to take the initial investment into it. Um, but like at the same time, like if I could sell my business uh, on Amazon, my products that I'm selling for 150, 200 grand, then I'm kind of like free. I got a free start to a gym now. Yeah. Like I can start a gym with that money. Yeah. And then, then I don't, I enjoy writing software because it keeps my mind rolling, like my mind going and, 
it pays the bills. It, it pays really well. So I enjoy it. Um, but at the same time, like, I think I would enjoy just being outside and coaching people all the time. Mm -hmm. So like that one hunt, that selling, selling this one business to turn it into another business and roll that into something else. Like that would free up my mind a lot and, and, and my time. And so that, that sounds like that's kind of exciting to think about too, you know? Bro. And I think people really lose sight of, of how fluid you are. You're listening to this and you're you only have a, like you're in a career job and you've been doing that for 10 years or you, you're just starting a career yeah. and you're like, man, if I could just make this money and do this thing, I'll be good. It's like, you're going to get there and then you're going to look at another horizon. That's just natural human progression and evolution. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? And so some people think that that's the end of their race. And it's like, well, you've got to run that race, learn everything you're going to learn and then decide again at the end of that race or at the top of that peak or at the end of that horizon. And that's okay. And that's what it is to be fluid and human. Right. But the thing is, is that in that whole process of being successful in FBA, I've learned so much about being an entrepreneur. And I've gone from being terrified to spend two grand on the initial product thinking I just like, I remember telling my wife, like I was, I was a mess. I was like, dude, I just wasted $2,000. Like I'm never going to make this back mm -hmm. to now. I wouldn't like, I don't think I would really hesitate if I wanted, if we like, I haven't done it right. Cause I haven't had the time to open a gym. But also, if I if I went to the bank to take a fifty thousand dollar loan or a hundred thousand dollar loan, I'd be like, "All right, cool, let's yep, do it." Let's because do it. I'm going to figure it out along the way. So it's built my confidence. Like just starting starting any business and figuring all these pieces out is going to build your confidence up for the next big thing in your life. What like and to 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 free you up a little bit more to live your life a little bit better. And that can yeah. only be built through exertion. Yeah, you can't you like. Otherwise, it's delusional conf confidence, and that won't help you. And and it goes back again to like you just need to start doing it. Yeah. Like just pull the yeah, pull the plug, dude. Start <laughs> go go for it. Go just do it. Just go. Yeah. Just start and just adapt, and then just fucking yeah. succeed, bro. That's yeah. It. Like That's if you're it. if you're scared of something, go do it, and you'll figure it out along the way. Oh yeah. Don't be don't be scared to have a little bit of egg on your face either because yeah. you're going to fucking fail a thousand yeah. times before you succeed. Yep. Okay, so the that leads into what does your CrossFit career look like? Does it look like opening a gym? Does it look like coaching the next generation? I've never gotten my L1 because I've never seen like the reason to get it, you know, the level one certification for CrossFit because I've never really I don't want to say this in, in a way that people misinterpret what I'm saying. I enjoy coaching anybody but I really enjoy coaching competitive athletes because I've been there and I, I understand what it feels like to compete and succeed. So I would love to coach competitive athletes. When I coached my son's soccer team, maybe I'm a little bit too competitive. You know, <laughs> they, were, they were like seven and six and stuff. But at the same time, I loved it because I loved seeing them go from these kids that couldn't, they could barely run. You know, when we would do warmups, they could barely, they would trip over their own feet over the ball until by the end of the season, like they were handling a ball and passing it back and forth and working together and stuff. I love that. And so it's the same thing with CrossFit. Like I would love to open or have seminars or something like that to teach people the competitive aspect of CrossFit to help them learn how to compete better, Yeah, you know, because I've been doing it for almost 10 years now, CrossFit as well. And so I've learned a lot just from competing a lot. So I, I don't know if that's like exactly where my career takes me next um, because I'm still like, wrapped up in all these other things if i were to open a gym i would definitely be focused on trying to teach people how to how to be competitive and and like kind of like get into their next that next stage if they if they were if that's what they're interested in right my goal is still to make it as an individual to a regional or now it would be semifinals, right mm -hmm. um i've always wanted to do that i've never done it i've come close 
Um, every year I think I get a little bit closer, but then life takes over too. And, you know, things change a lot. So that's always going to be my goal. And then the other on the back burner, it's always, well, I'm almost 35. So that puts me in the master's division. So I'd love to try to make it a shot at the masters of the CrossFit games, you know? So if anything, the, the t-shirts, uh, motivate me a lot. Those, <laughs> those very personal t-shirts, they, they make different styles every year. The only way to get it is by being an athlete at the games that that motivates me yeah. like a lot because that's like dude if i see somebody wearing that out in the street i'm like that person worked hard for that shirt oh, yeah. so would you see yourself also continuing with computer i think i'll always software write software so long as obviously ai doesn't take over my job like we just talked about <laughs> no uh, man you've been doing it long enough i'm sure you're in that tw top 20 percent. I, I feel like i'm yeah i yeah. feel like I feel like I am. Yeah, I've been doing it long enough. But have you had the same employer the whole time? No, I've okay. worked for three or four different companies. Okay. So let me let me um, paint a scenario for you. You're making you're netting a million dollars annually with your FBA store. You're still working as a computer engineer. So that's what I've always told my wife is that I would probably keep working, but I wouldn't be afraid of losing my job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I would do like if if I want to work you know, 30 hours a week, or if I just want to be there for meetings and be consulting and telling, like running the show behind the scenes, I'd probably migrate into something more like that or a contractor or something like that. I'd probably keep working for them though. I love the company. It keeps me thinking. It keeps me, I don't know, like it's just something that I enjoy doing. Um, but I probably, I wouldn't be so concerned about whether or not they need me tomorrow if I was netting a million dollars. Cause I just, I would have, you know, I'd have my income and yeah. it wouldn't matter. So true. Yeah. So, okay. okay so, so you're still doing that. And then the the business, your goal, what is your goal with your, for your entrepreneurial career? Is that, does that include continuing FBA and then also possibly opening a gym? Um, possibly opening a gym. That's something my wife and I talk about a lot. We've also talked recently a lot about um, designing or constructing some way to help um, uh, pregnant mothers um, postpartum during pregnancy with workouts, with nutritional advice, um, with mindset coaching, that sort of thing, kind of like trying to fall into um, something like that. My, my wife, we're going on our fourth kid. The la the third, Lila, was born at home. Um, and since then, my wife has kind of become with the, obsessed with the idea of pregnancy and being a mom, and rightfully so, because it's a very empowering thing. Um, but as we've come into that, we've realized that like, we're really well versed and especially she is in nutrition and working out and being in motherhood. And so we'd like to package those things together. So that's kind of like, that's probably going to be a sooner adventure than it would be a gym. Um, but I think that the potential there is also limitless as well. Everybody's, what are you guys thinking? Like a online, like an online community, like a subscription box online, model? Most likely an online community. Um, that's the way I'd like to go. I, I'm not a big fan of subscription stuff, but that's also the way that the rest of the world has gone. Yeah. So I don't know. It just depends on what we're le releasing to, the type of content that we want to release and uh, the, the way that we want to help um, mothers um, take care of themselves. I think that, that that's what originally brought on the issue is just like, like it's so easy to get so involved with the rest of your life as a mom that you forget to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to like, it's easy just to get away from the things that you should be doing when you, when you get pregnant and your life has changed completely because yep. pregnancy, like that's what it is. Like your life has to change completely. Mm -hmm. So like we, we've talked about and toyed with the idea of like figuring out how do we help these women that, that they deserve to take care of themselves, to be healthy, 
to mentally be prepared. Like, how can we help them? What do they need? And, and I think we have the capacity to do that. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a holistic approach. So we're probably gonna have to do a part two with that. For sure. A lot of times we're highlighting masculinity, highlighting men. I mean, this podcast, we've had a lot of very successful people, but I haven't done a really good job of outlining the struggles. I haven't done a really good job of outlining the pain. Yeah. And, you know, we, we both started reading a book called The Boy Crisis that really identifies and really shows a light on, holy shit, mental illness, suicide rates. For men. For men, for boys. Yeah. What things do you struggle with? Like, you know, if we were to, if, you know, and answer this however you want, like just to humanize you a little bit, because you're right now larger than life. You're, you have a successful FBA business. I'm spitting out all these good things about yeah. me. Yeah. So what, you know, just, just remind, remind people like, you know, that you're human and that you, you have things that you struggle with. There so have been so many times where my wife has to like talk me through the things that I'm upset about and the things that get hard. Uh, and that's normal. Like, I think that's going to happen to everybody. And especially if you're, if you've got your hands in so many pots, right? Like you're going to be stressed. Things are going to be hard. Like you're going to be upset. You're going to be sad. Um, that's just, unfortunately that's a part of life and you wouldn't have the highs without the lows because mm -hmm. they're high because you experience these lows. Right. Um, and so like, I think that's just something that it's never easier to deal with when you're upset or stressed about these things. You just got to have the team around you to pull you through and, and finding a good team is like, that's a part of life with anything else. Finding good friends, people that lift you up, people that don't talk shit on you behind your back. So, uh, my wife, I love her because she keeps things real with me. Mm -hmm. She's not afraid to call me out on things. Even I've told her before, I'm like, if you think I'm being a bitch in a workout, yeah. call, tell me, yeah. say, quit being a bitch, Jordan. And she literally says that to me and it immediately snaps me out of like being, being yeah. a little wimp and getting inside my head and stuff. But, and then in the real world too, like whenever I get stressed about money, like finances, right. Uh, or the kids or something, she's like, Hey, like chill out. Like this, the greatest thing she ever said to me when we first got together, I remember freaking out cause I didn't know how to deal with these kids, these two kids. Cause I didn't have any kids at the time. And, and she had a four year old and a two year old and they were wild and crazy. She was like, they're not going to be like this for forever. So like things are going to change and you're going to change with it. And we're going to grow together, like growing together and, and changing with it. Like just be prepared to do that and take it like when, when shit gets hard and you're like in this really deep hole, like you just got to kind of uh, take it literally again, it goes back to CrossFit, like one step at a time. Like, what do I need to do right now to get through this? And for me, almost every time it's, I need to go take a nap. I need to sleep. I need to, I need to be quiet or I need to go on a long bike ride. Like I need to go do something on my own to clear my head out. Like everybody's going to, you're going to experience hardship and dark times and like things that, and, that, and that's why. What was your lowest point? I think my lowest point was coming like when I, in 2021 was the last time I went to regionals. And after that season, um, it, I think we, we competed in Las Vegas at the West Coast Classic. And after that season, I was kind of like, I don't know what to do in my life right now because I was like in this in-between of like, I want to compete, but I want to be a good dad. Uh, I want to get this business started. I think that was when I was starting Amazon FBA stuff. Uh, and so I had my hand in a lot of pots and, and a lot of fires and I didn't know which one, um, to focus on. And I knew I couldn't focus on being competitive at the highest level and also do these other things. But I really wanted to start being a good dad because I was spending hours a week at the gym away from my kids. Right. And so I remember being really upset at one point 
Um, and like literally just laying in bed for like a whole day because I didn't want to do anything. Cause I was like, well, dude, what do I do mm-hmm. with my life? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, and I just, I, I would sit like, that was probably like a really low point for me because it was like, I had this whole identity shift at that point in my life for like a month or two. And, and finally, after a couple of months of, of like thinking about that and feeling that and going back and forth between these, like, what do I do with my life now that I don't really know? Like, cause I'm capable of competing at this level, but I don't know if that's what I want to be doing and should right. be doing. Right. And so I'm chasing something that I may not even want anymore. Yeah. Um, after a couple of months of that, just like her, she, she's kind of like learned to be there alongside with me and just talk me through things and get me through things. So that was a really hard shift. And I think a lot of athletes go through that. And can, can I ask you if you were to extract either a lesson or something that will help somebody listening, what pulled you out of that? You know, what was it incremental or was there like it's incremental. things that you did? No, it's, it's, it's incremental and it takes a lot of time. I see people talk about how sad they are and depressed and stuff and like, yeah, like it's everywhere. It's, everywhere. it's fucking and everywhere. it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And it's, and it's, and it's a struggle because it feels like, cause you have no reason to be sad sometimes, but you just feel sad, you just feel sad. and you just feel upset. Um, and so that, and that's why like that can either like confuse you and make you more sad or you can recognize like, I feel sad, but I have no reason to be sad. And so I know I'm doing everything right. So I need to just take this one day at a time and just work, like get through this. Um, and then I think other than that, like, it's really about like following some basic principles of like what we're meant to do as humans, like get sunlight, eat food, sleep well, um, have sex, like be like do we have these you laugh but that's so important it is important and, and, I, and I laugh because mind. i don't know if my mom's watching this or whatever so she's like <laughs> bro everyone laughs when we talk about sexuality it's just it, it's just isn't the it funny the as the american right. the american culture is afraid to talk about it so the stat is staggering so between i think males between the ages of 20 and 30 a third of them haven't had sex in the last year calendar year meaning like they haven't had intimacy with the and that's the human thing being. like it's not just having yeah. sex it's intimacy it's a it, and it's we're social we're social creatures yep and we need to be around other people and talking to other people to take you off off topic because you're you are good like that what you were saying was like boom, getting movement, out of the hole sunlight yeah all movement, that stuff sunlight so eating sex getting back to the basic principles of humans because you don't need to be taught to do any of those things you just do them yep. and and like work your way one day at a time and and eventually like you start to you start to accept the situation that you're in. And then at that point you can decide, am I going to take control of this and get my, like, am I going to fix what keeps upsetting me or am I just going to accept it? But either way, it's okay. I think like you Mm -hmm. can accept it and be like, and understand it. It's just going to take time. I mean, those are probably the same steps that you go through with grief, right? Like there's, there's like five stages of grief and you just like, if you understand that you're going to go through those stages of grief and just like get through each stage one at a time, then, then that's just like all you can do. Like accept the situation that you're in and either you can make the changes to start trying to come out of it or if you accept it and like maybe that just helps you get out of it eventually. But like bottom line is like things will change again. Like you're here because something changed. Things will change again and eventually like you'll get back to this square, this level ground of like, all right, I'm okay. Like I can focus on my family now or I can focus on my business or I can focus on myself. Yeah. But either way, like, I think you just need to accept that things are going to change again. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, 
That's so good. That's such good advice. That that that's advice, and that's a perspective from somebody who's going through it, who's experienced it, who's not just preaching from a mountaintop. Like you're you're going through the motion, you're experiencing that. So, dude, so insightful, so helpful. Where can people find you? Uh, Instagram is Joe Bear Joe dot Bear. I think it's two R's. J O dot B E A R R. Uh, and that's pretty much it. And honestly. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more away from Instagram too. So I think my time is – my wife posts a lot and she posts us. So I I try to actually focus on her platform for that a little bit more. What's her platform? Uh, Jordan.Ellis. I think it's like two Ds though, something like that. And just just to – if there's any way I can edify you guys more, it's like every gym we've gone to, every – you know, your wife has now joined this – crossfit and man like everybody's chatting about how strong she is and she's how many months nine months pregnant. nine months we have pregnant. she's like eight and a half nine, i mean we only have four to five weeks left she's warming up with one uh, 45 pound plates yeah it, like dude she just she's you guys tough. are both just fucking savages Again, in the best way her. possible right savages in the gym mindful and holistic and just like that's why we've gotten along so well I just appreciate you coming on. And what's interesting is like, I still have so many subjects that I want to talk about <laughs> yeah. that we could both, we could deep dive and, and talk about. So we're going to have to do a part two to this. Well, if I didn't bore people, no, then I, I will, I would love to come and talk. No. I can, I feel like I can talk all day and yeah, that's what, bro. that's what gets me in trouble with my wife. <laughs> Anyways, she's like, come on, let's go. I'm like, I'm talking an hour later. I'm that's so talking. true. Yeah, yeah. That's so true. That was one of the first things I noticed about you. So how friendly you are, how nice you are. So if you ever see, uh, Jordan out and about in the wild, man. Go say hi because he would love Give to talk to you. Give me a hug and go say hi. Yeah. 100%. If any of you ever want to reach out to talk about, you know, what do I do next sort of thing, definitely hit me up. I feel like I can give a lot of advice on like what to do next. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's following in my dad's footsteps too because I feel like that's what he did with all my friends growing up. So, um, but yeah, hit me up on Instagram if you ever want to chat or if you're wondering, you're curious or something like that. So, uh, I like talking to people, so I, I'm okay talking to strangers. So. <laughs> I love that. And yeah. if uh, on the off chance you're a cro- competitive CrossFit athlete, reach out to him too because he might be opening up a gym soon. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, Wolfpack, if you got any value today, please like, subscribe, share this episode, rate and review the podcast, man. It would really help us reach a wider and broader audience. Uh, follow us on all platforms, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace.